Hey, Park Church, we hope you're well. We are now in Holy Week, which is a time where we remember the last week of Jesus' life, and we celebrate everything he did to rescue and redeem a broken world. Throughout the history of our church family, Holy Week has been full of a number of different traditions, but obviously in this time, as we're scattered all around the city, uh, those traditions will need to change. And so I want to give you a quick update for our plan for Easter Sunday morning. Our plan on Easter Sunday is to stream one full service online at 10 a.m. So we're going to be streaming one full service online at 10 a.m. on Easter Sunday. And that's a little bit different than what we've been doing for the past few weeks. And so I want to share with you a couple of reasons why. The first is by streaming the service at a particular time, it's going to give us as a church family the opportunity to connect with one another in an online format. So just being disconnected and scattered around the city, one of the things we're missing, especially on Easter, is a chance to engage with each other. So by doing it at a particular time, it'll give you an opportunity to engage with others during the service and even after the service in a number of different formats. Secondly, by streaming the service as a full service, it's a little bit more accessible for people that are not connected to our church family. And so as we think about what does it mean to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and to invite really our whole city and the world into the joy that we have in Christ's resurrection, by streaming as a full service, it makes it a little more accessible for those that aren't connected to any church family. And so our hope for you is that you would have the opportunity to invite your neighbors, invite your coworkers, invite family and friends uh, around the city and even around the world to worship with us and celebrate with us as we consider the reality that Christ is risen and the hope that his resurrection brings to all of us. We love you, we're praying for you, and we look forward to worshiping with you next Sunday. Hey Park fam, um, Miguel Warren here, Director of Community. And let me just take a moment and say, Happy Palm Sunday. Um, by God's grace, we have made it. Now, we didn't make it like we wanna made it, but we, we made it here. And I'm glad that um, we get to celebrate this day um, because this is the mark of Passion Week. And as we know, it leads to a beautiful resurrection at the end. And so again, um, from your, uh, in your homes right here, me to you, happy Palm Sunday. Man, I love you guys. I wish we were together because um, you know me. I always say it's glad to be into the house of the Lord. And the truth is that that statement is still true. Um, even though we're not physically here, uh, we also uh, get to still be the church because the church are the people, the Holy Spirit that dwells with inside of us. So um, again, I will say it in my beautiful fashion that it is good to be in the house of the Lord. And so while we are in the house of the Lord, here is a beautiful and a opportunity for you to work on those amens. Listen, see, now nobody's around, so it can be a little awkward for you, you know, time it to say amen, you know, shake your head a little bit or, or, or say go ahead or um, that's right. These are the times to practice it because when we come back together, I expect there to be some perfection in those voices when we gather again, because um, it's going to be a beautiful time and we're going to have a big Holy Ghost party when we come back together um, uh, physically. So um, if you would pray for me and I will pray for you in this moment, we'll dive into God's word. Lord, we thank you um, by your grace that we get to still celebrate Palm Sunday. Even through this means of technology, had this happened 15 years ago, God, I don't know how this even would be possible. So I'm grateful for your timing and to allowing all this to happen. God, I pray that as we 
hear from you, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would pour out your spirit upon each and every person that will hear this word today, to know that your word is living and active, that it can bring life from dead places. So God, I pray that the Holy Spirit fills every house and hearts of those who will hear this word today, God. Thank you for still speaking and knowing that nothing can remove you from your throne and who you are. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. I would like to ask you this question for you to really consider it. And that is, who is the king of your heart? Who is the king of your hearts? See, the truth is, we all have something or someone that is king of our heart. See, there is no such thing as a vacancy on the throne of the hearts of people. No, see, that king, whatever, whoever is on the thrones of your heart, rules and reigns over your life. And only you can answer that question. What is it? Is it finances? Is it um, this dream job? Is it the spouse? Is it the kids? Is it a political party that wears blue or red? Who is the king of your heart? And the reality of it is, it's only two answers to that question. And that is Jesus and everything else. And so we're going to see here in today's text how uh, some of us need to hear and some of us need to be reminded that Jesus is king. Luke 19 in this section of the triumphal entry is going to remind us that even in the midst of a pandemic, that Jesus is still the king and on the throne. And I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded of that sometimes because life has been a bit shaken and unexpected. And it's good to know that we have a king that cannot and will not be removed from his throne. And so we get ready to dive into this text in chapter 19 of Luke, um, talking about the triumphal entry. And so on this Palm Sunday, it marks this, uh, what we call Passion Week here. It is Jesus making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem to establish officially, to inaugurate his kingdom. And he's going to do that by marching all the way to Golgotha to die on the cross for you and for me. And there where he conquers sin and death, which is our biggest enemy of all. It's very funny that it's called the triumphal entry and that we call it the Passion Week. See, the word passion really comes from this Latin word suffer. And so Jesus is going to make this triumphal, which is beautiful for us. But yet from a human perspective is actually not so triumphal to go die on that cross for you and me. And so let's look into the text how this will Luke will remind us how Jesus is king and still on the throne. And so as we go through this text, I want you to really consider and examine your life with that question. Who is king of your heart? Is it Jesus or everything else? If you would, please, let's look at verses 30 through 34, where we will see how King Jesus knows all. He is 
all knowing. And it says here in the text, um, go, he says, go into the village in front of you. This is him instructing his disciples. He's telling two of his disciples to go, go into the village in front of you where on entering it, you will find a cult tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it. Bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he, Jesus, told them. And as they were untying the cult, its owner said to them, why are you untying it? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Here's the thing. We come across where Jesus, we see here that Jesus is all knowing. Uh, the theological term for that is he's omniscient here. See, Jesus is directing his life at this point. All through his whole life, he is directing the events that take place. And so he is given instructions for the disciples to go do something for the purpose of this triumphal entry here. He not only tells them where to go, but he tells them what to say and actually lets them know that someone will ask what you are doing. And so this is good news for us. And this reminds us to know that God is all knowing because this really isn't the first time that uh, we've seen where Jesus is foretelling something that had actually happened. You see, three times prior to this part of the passage, he's already was telling of his death here. You see, later on, he tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times. He also lets the disciples know that one of them are going to betray him. And we also see here in the text where he says that the Lord has need of it. He has the knowledge to know that he needs it. See, prior to this, he wasn't public about his ministry. He wanted to keep it on the hush. But he knew that it was time to make this public entry for people to know that he is the rightful king that needs to reign on the throne here on earth. And so I don't know about you, but it is good news that we have a king that knows all and that doesn't need to be briefed on a situation. See, he knows every situation that is taking place right now. Nothing escapes his knowledge. Nothing, nothing catches him by surprise. And that's so good. We don't have to go and brief him and catch him up to speed on what's taking place in our life. You know, actually, he tells us in his word, uh, to, to, to talk to him, to come to him. In 1 Peter 5, 7, he says that we can cast our anxieties on him because he cares. How else are you going to cast them on him without speaking to him? We also see in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where he says that we can be anxious about nothing, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we can let our requests be made known to him. You see, the reason why this King Jesus is all knowing is because he is fully God still. First, excuse me, Colossians chapter one speaks to the preeminence of Christ. It talks about how all things were created by him and for him and through him and for him. See, Peter even mentions it in John chapter 21 where he says, Lord, you know everything. You see, this King Jesus is still fully God which means he does not lower or he doesn't get rid of his deity here. So I don't know about you, but that is good news. You know, see, it's like a pop quiz, right? I don't know about you, but I don't like pop quizzes because I really don't like them when I don't study um, because I didn't take my time studying as I was 
supposed to. And so the purpose of the pop quiz is to see if we have been studying. And most of the time, it's not an open book. But here's the beautiful thing about God is that when life gives us pop quizzes, he knows how those things are going to take place. And not only does he knows how they're going to take place, he also has an open book for us that we can go to to find the answers to life as they come and hit us which way and why. And I'm so grateful that we have a king who knows all. And so the same king, this the same king that that the disciples um, went to go grab this coat for him is the same king that reigns today. See, he's given us his holy book and he tells us what we ought to do and how we ought to engage life. The question is, are we reading and listening to him? And so we just see how he, our king, King Jesus is one that knows all. We'll look at our next part of the section where we see this King Jesus has authority over all creation. Look with me at verse 35 and 36. It says, and they brought it to Jesus, meaning the cult, the donkey, as some verses say, and threw their cloaks on the cult. They sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. You see here, this part of the text is fulfilling what uh, the other gospels mention is Zechariah 9.9 here, where I'll read this for you. And it says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. See, you have to understand this is fulfilling prophecy here. But not only that, he, he's choosing his uh, choice of riding on a colt because Zechariah 9 mentions that, but it also symbolizes something. It symbolizes royalty. It symbolizes he's coming in peace. He is coming as a humble king, one who is going to conquer the throne. He's not coming on in a war horse like most kings would. And what's interesting here, as we look at this text in this part, how we know that he's creation overall is because it says that he tells them to go get a cult that has never been rode on, that has never been sat on and to bring it to him. And if you know anything about um, horses or cults is that they do not receive riders well if they have not been broken, right? If a saddle hasn't been on them and they haven't been trained properly in order to have someone sit on them. Actually, it would be a bucking horse, to be honest, to try to get on this animal. But we see here our king, Jesus, that when they bring it here, they put him on it. And there's no mention even here in another uh, or the other gospels that the cult goes wild. No, what it says that he sat on it and he continues to make his way to Jerusalem. This lets us know people that we have a king that is over all creation here. And the truth is, this isn't the first time again that he is establishing, showing how he is over all creation. You see, when the storm took place, when he was asleep in the boats with the disciples and they were panicking and they were worrying, they went and woke him up out of his sleep. And he tells them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. And when he speaks, the seas calm and the storm stops. See, he's over creation enough where he tells water to become like pavement where he can walk on top of it and, it and he does not sink here. See, our God, our King Jesus is over all 
creation. Let me ask you this question. Whatever or whoever is king of your life, can it do that? Does it have authority over all creation? Can it march and give you the peace that you and I so desperately long for that can only be fulfilled in our king? And so it's beautiful when we look at this is that the text tells us that they put their version of the red carpet before him as he makes his way into Jerusalem. It talks about how they put their uh, their clothes on the ground and the other gospels mention how they bring palm branches and they're waving and they're putting them down on the ground so he can make his entry into Jerusalem as the savior he is, which brings us to our third and final point where King Jesus is savior of all. If you would, please look at verse 37 and 40 with me. It says, as he was drawing near, this is near Jerusalem, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they have seen him do. The text goes on to say that they were saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answers, I tell you, even if these were silent, even if the disciples were silent, the very stones would cry out. You, you see, we reach the climactic part of this triumphal entry that is taking place here. And we, we are met where the disciples are being the catalyst for this rejoicing and praising of God. The phrase that we hear so often that Luke even paraphrases here um, in the other gospels is Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, son of David. Blesses the men that come in the name of the Lord here. This says, blesses the king who comes in the name of the Lord here. It is the disciples that are leading this and shouting these praise and rejoicing for all that God had done, that they had seen and get this, what he is going to do. See, this, it, this, this phrase here, when we use Hosanna, if I could, it's, it has two meanings here. See, the one meaning is, is, is to save, is to please save, it's a plea for help. While the other meaning has grown to say one for gratitude, meaning we're thankful for what he has done, which leads into praise here. And I want you to understand that the truth is we're in one of those two camps. Either you're one that is pleading for God to do something or you are praising him for what he has done. And so my question to you is when if you're one that is saying, hey, I need to plead to him. What do you need him to save you from? What is it that he needs to save in your life? Or if he's not saving you from something, what is it that? You can give him praise for, for what he has done. I tell you one thing, the Bible mentions all the time that we ought to rejoice always, as it says in Philippians 4. Rejoice always. James tells us that we are to uh, consider the great joy when we encounter various trials. See, we are called to praise him at all time. And the reality of it is we are in one of those two states. The question is, where are you at today? But understand here, it isn't. When Jesus, when the disciples are leading this 
catalysts of praise and shouting Hosanna. It's not just them. The other gospel mentions how there is a crowd that comes in. See, this event is taking place in the Passover. And so you have travelers that are coming in to uh, participate in the Passover and they catch wind and they hear about King Jesus. So they're coming and you already have people that are in Jerusalem that are there and they are participating and kind of joining in, you know, as kind of like bandwagon because it's the hot thing to do. But the truth is they have needs. And so the reality of it is, is that they want him. They want this king to come and overthrow the Roman government because of the oppression. See, they were looking for a revolt. That's why some of these praises of Hosanna and blessing him turns into crucify him later on. And let's not condemn those people, because if we're honest, many of us sit here. And when God doesn't move the way we want to move, when he doesn't come do what we want him to do, we with our actions and even sometimes our words crucify him. We want to do away with him. You see, it wasn't that he wasn't going to handle the Roman government. It wasn't that he wasn't going to overthrow him. There's going to come a time where everything will be subjective to him, where he will uh, consummate everything. Right. But also he had a greater purpose to conquering. See, he was marching to the cross so that he can conquer the bigger sin here. The biggest, excuse me, the biggest enemy, which is sin and Death. That is what he ultimately was going to conquer. And I'm so glad that he didn't move to the beat of the people, but he moved to what the father was telling him to do, that he went to that cross to die for you and me so that he can conquer sin and death. And I'm so glad he did. See, here's the reality. Nothing can deny his kingship and how he is savior of all. See, the Pharisees wanted him to rebuke his disciples. And he goes, hey, even if the disciples don't speak. Hey, these very stones will cry out here. And I'm so glad that we have a God that that has that type of authority that saves us because the creation knows the kingship of God. And the truth is, we all will have to deal with the kingship of God sooner or later, because the Bible tells us that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you see how most kings would go into uh, uh, conquer their their area into that throne. They were marching on a war horse. They were having uh, royal garments on and and having a crown of jewels wait for them and having a sword and a and a shield in one hand ready to go battle. But see, our king, no, he came in on a donkey, which symbolizes peace. See, he he went and marched to a cross where he knew he was going to be mocked and and spat on. And and what waited him wasn't a crown of jewels, but was a crown of thorns. See, what wasn't in the hand was a sword and a shield, but what, what it was was nails in his hands and his feet. See, it was a borrowed tomb that was waiting for him where a, Roman, uh, where a Roman guard would be in front of it, where no angels would minister to him. See, that is what our king was experienced. You see, when they hung him high and stretched him wide on that cross that day on Friday, and when he died and breathed his last breath, and the text tells us he gave up, his spirit. So he even knew when he was going to die again. I mean, at that point, but the Pharisees were happy. Satan was satisfied. His disciples cried Friday night. They mourned Saturday night, but 
early Sunday morning when Mary and the women run into the tomb to go visit that king. They see the stone rolled away only to see it empty, to be met with an angel that tells them, what are you looking for? He is not here, people, because our king is alive. He is alive today, people. And I don't know about you, but that is so great news because when he rose early Sunday morning with all power in his hand, see, he conquered sin and death officially and it lost its sting. And it one day he will come and consummate this thing again for us where it will be no more virus going on. There will be no more crying. There won't be no more layoffs. There won't be no more dependent on the government. See, the text tells us that the government is upon his shoulders. And so that is the King Jesus that we have because he's not only doing that. He today, even in this very moment, is a victorious king. He is a delivering king. He delivers us in our current situation. He frees those who are in bondage and oppressed. He uplifts those chains. He breaks those chains. See, he's a father to the fatherless. That is the king that we have, people, and that is alive and that we worship. And I submit to you today, who is your king? Is it King Jesus or is it everything else? And while we have a chance, I want to ask you if he is not your king submit to him today you see in verses 41 through 44 we see where Jesus wept because Jerusalem didn't receive him Israel didn't want to receive him as king they missed their opportunity they they missed the king as he was coming in because they were so consumed with their ways and how they wanted things to be done because they wanted to be right they didn't want to submit to his kingship and his authority and his rule and reign. And I submit to you today, if he is not king of your life, seek him while you have time. Because there comes a day where we all will stand before him and give an account for what we have done. But if he is your king, oh, we can celebrate and rejoice to know that one day we will see him face to face. We will see him in all of his glory that he talks about. We will be together and we will have a Holy Ghost party and we will worship him nonstop and never get tired. You see, we will all stand before him. And will you stand before him as seen as covered by the blood of Jesus? Or will you stand before him, give an account for your sins because the blood of Jesus doesn't drape all over you. Oh, uh, the beautiful thing about our King Jesus is that it's not only then will we get to experience all the goodness, but we also get to experience him now. I want to end this time with reading Jude verse 24, 25 that speaks so potent for this time for us that gives us hope to hold on to. This beautiful doxology, and it says here. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling. That's beautiful. Meaning now to this day, he gets to still keep us from stumbling and to present you. Here's the beautiful part to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. Get this with great joy. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to be presented before 
our great God and our King with, without blemish and spots because Lord knows that's a beautiful time. But he goes on to say, not only will he keep us now from stumbling, we don't lose faith. He will present us blameless before, uh, before the presence of his glory with great joy. And it says, to the only God and Savior, the only God and Savior, through Jesus, our Lord, our King, to be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and forever. And it says, amen. So I ask you, who is the king of your heart? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you don't lead us, you don't forsake us. That as you make the, the triumphal entry then to the cross, you also will march into our hearts if we would just be willing to receive you and accept you for who you are. That if we would submit our life to you. See, God, you know all. God, you have authority over all and you are savior of all. And I'm so glad that there is nothing that can remove you from your throne. We love you because you first loved, loved us, knowing that if you do no more, you're still the most faithful and just God there is or ever will be. In your son Jesus name we pray. Amen.